Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini, the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope and healing and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times, and motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special day, April the 2nd, which is World Autism Awareness Day. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Lisa Pauls, ESQ. Lisa is a founding partner at Pauls Reckham LLP and a board member of Circle Haven. Lisa has the unique distinction of being the very first guest on Thank God for Monday some 15 years ago. Great morning and welcome back to Thank God for Monday, Lisa. Good morning, Greg. It's so wonderful to talk with you again. Oh, the honor is all ours. Certainly can't believe it's been 15 years, that's for sure. Kindly share with the listeners and me from what city and state you're speaking from this morning. Yes, of course. I'm coming from Glasgow, New Jersey, down in South Jersey, right by Rowan University. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful part of the lovely Garden State, that's for sure. It's sad to say, Lisa, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about you, your incredible life, this wonderful work that you're doing. So if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Lisa, you were a very critical force to getting Thank God for Monday launched on WSOU all the way back in 2006, September. Do you recall what was it that appealed to you about the show? Well, Greg, as you may recall, I came on to talk about hostile work environments, uh, looking at sexual harassment in particular. And what really appealed to me when we were talking about the show beforehand was that you weren't just interested in educating employees about their rights, but you also wanted me to explore how employers could take steps to actually prevent hostile environments in the first place. And I think that really showed me that the show had a true commitment to giving people and companies the tools that they need to thrive. Wow, that is so awesome to hear. Now, as I recall, you were in a capacity at Seton Hall that we met to talk about this concept and you really drove it with key administration at Seton Hall at that time. Do I recall correctly? 
That's right. At the time, I was actually the director of the leadership studies program. And we obviously were doing a lot of work with outside employers and also trying to mold new leaders for the future, which we, you know, we've obviously Seton Hall's continued that mission, which is really just a wonderful thing. And we really thought it would be important to, on the launch of the program, as I said, to, to have people have the information, but also the tools so they could work in a positive environment. I don't know about you. I never thought, thank God for Monday, 15 years later, would still be proudly on WSOU. Well, a testament to the work you've done. <laughs> thank you so very, very much. Now, I perceive since 2006, September, your professional life has changed. Tell us about this transformation, please, Lisa. That's, that's true, Grace. While I was at Seton Hall, I was still in private practice, uh, doing a variety of things, a lot of work, obviously, in the labor and employment fields. But I began to shift my, shift my focus, and it really was a result of having a child with autism. As you may know, my son, autism, uh, my son Andrew, um, who is now 31, has severe autism. Um, which is, you know, a combination of both autism and an intellectual disability. Uh, so working with, you know, the various systems to try to get him the services he need really got me more and more involved in the community to the point where I actually now only do autism cases. And we've actually founded our firm that we do only disability cases. So I really expanded both my focus for disability law, but me in particular, it's looking at issues that affect individuals with autism and their families, but particularly addressing how to access appropriate services and supports. The firm's actually a statewide practice and the, all the lawyers in it do a variety of disabilities with a variety of different cases. So it could be anything from how to get early intervention services, how to get insurance perhaps to cover something. Maybe it's how to get appropriate services from your school district, how to also plan for the future, like making sure that you're protecting future benefits to trust and estates planning. In recent years, my practice has really focused on what I consider to be one of the most pressing issues, and that's securing housing and residential services for adults with autism and other developmental disabilities. Wow, and we're gonna peel the onion on that shortly, but I wanna talk about Paul's Reckham a little bit more. So it's just not a two-person firm, if I perceive. There's two names in the name of the firm. But That's correct. We have several, the, the structure sure. of the firm, please. Sure, we have, we have several of counsel attorneys that work with us that, as I said, that you know address issues like other disabilities, like learning disabilities or mental health or ADHD. We have a trust and estates attorney, which is really important for, it, for families that have individuals, particularly individuals with developmental disabilities that are going to need lifetime services because planning to protect their eligibility for services is really important. So we have an attorney that does that. We also have a social worker in the practice, which I think makes us somewhat unique because a lot of times the work is not just about knowing the law, but it's about supporting the families through this process. So we're really you know, happy to have uh, Abby Greenberg as part of the team as well that does that kind of work. Oh, that's awesome. Now, as you mentioned back in 2006, you were working for another firm or doing some sort of work that way. 
then you decided to take ownership and start your own firm. How was that? And that must have taken a lot of courage to do this. Uh, yeah, I can sort of remember the day sitting, having the cup of coffee with my now law partner, um, uh, thinking about doing it. And it, it is it is a big step. There's no doubt, because in addition to having to now be responsible, obviously, in any business, all the costs, the expenses, we also knew we were going to be responsible for other people. So if it didn't work, there were other people like, you know, Roselle, my wonderful assistant, we were going to, you know, have her part of it. And you, it's, it, it was a big responsibility, but we were having a good deal of success and the need was so great. Uh, so about eight years ago, we went off on our own and it's really just expanded from there. Wow. Well, that's a testament to who you are, Lisa. That's for sure. As a person and as a professional. And clearly, as much as your professional life has changed since 2006, your personal life has transformed even more as you are now very much intimately involved in housing for those with special needs. Tell us, please, about Circle Haven, of which you are a board member, because before our interview, I was not familiar with. I have a feeling our listeners may not all be familiar with it either. Right. So the not-for-profit itself is actually only a couple years old, but it's been a long time in the making because for quite some time, I've worked on this housing issue from both a design and a funding issue at both the state and national level. So as a result of that, I began to meet a number of not just professionals, but families also that wanted to do something you know, really different and unique. So a couple of years ago, we actually founded the not-for-profit with the goal of building an, an innovative, intentional community for adults that, are, that would have developmental disabilities. So it's for a variety of disabilities. It's not just autism, a variety of functioning levels. So those that need the affordable housing, but don't need as many supports to those that also need more intensive 24 seven supports. What makes it unique is that it will also have a farm component as well. So there's gonna be a lot of wellness initiatives. And we actually, one of our board members, uh, is Nina White, who's the owner of Bobolink Farms. Um, if there's any fans of cheese out there, they would know it. it's a pretty renowned cheesemaker in New Jersey. Wow. So, yeah, Nina and her husband, Jonathan, have spent a great deal of time planning, you know, what we're going to grow, what the individuals are going to make. And I think teaching them the process of growing and then cooking it themselves is, is really rewarding. It's rewarding for all of us. Wow, that is amazing. No doubt about it. Now, you mentioned before a little bit about the housing crisis, which faces individuals with developmental disabilities and their family. Please, let's delve into this much deeper. Talk about this crisis, please, Lisa. Absolutely. So, you know, as you know, finding housing is a difficult quest for anyone, right? And particularly in New Jersey, because we allot a higher percentage of our income and resources to housing costs than most parts of the country. So it's just challenging for everyone. Now for individuals with developmental disabilities and or autism, the task of finding that affordable housing is extremely challenging. And the search has got many hurdles along the way. And one of the reasons is, is that it's important to note that just finding the housing itself 
is only half of the, of, of the journey because you have to also make sure that you have appropriate services and supports. So when Circle Haven decided to launch this, we knew we had to obviously come up with this wonderful, unique, intentional community design, but we also needed to think a lot about what we were going to be as a service provider that is gonna support the person served, the families, and also the individuals that work there that in our field, they're referred to as direct support professionals. Wow. So there's a lot to think about here. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. And uh, you know, Greg, what's, what's really those, in my practice, one of the more heartbreaking um, things that I address is that families and caregivers, they have such serious concerns about who's going to care for their loved one when they're gone. Oh, and, you know, and, and, and I've had so many parents say that the thought of them going first is, you know, is, is so painful. And then more importantly, that we really want people to be able to think about it before they're gone, because probably the most challenging and just heart-wrenching cases that I get are when the second parent passes and the call comes from the sibling that says, you know, my adult sibling doesn't have a placement, you know, was at home with my parents. So that individual with the disability has to deal with both grief and change and adjustment. So one of our goals is to let that transition happen while the parents are around and they can help with that transition and they can help support the individual to also let those that are stepping into healthcare know about that person and let them really continue to have a very enriched and joyful life. Oh, that is such a wonderful strategy, no doubt about it. Now, you mentioned a little bit before about funding, but is there really funding uh, to build these houses and these innovative models that you're striving for? Well, there's actually, it's a very exciting time in New Jersey. Uh, I would not have said that a number of years ago, but I would absolutely say it now for a couple of reasons. So um, a number of years ago, the federal government began to look at how the states are spending their money on services and supports for the developmental disability community. And there were honestly, there were a couple of years, there was so much confusion about what was going to be permitted. After a lot of advocacy at the state and federal level, we really did get clarity, both in the last administration and it's continued now in the current administration, uh, same in New Jersey, began in the Christie administration and also continued, um, you know, in Governor Murphy's, which was that states could do innovative models that though for some individuals living on their own, you know, in a totally inclusive apartment, that's a wonderful choice for them. And we want choices to be available for everyone. The individuals with disabilities should have the same options that non-disabled people have. So for a couple of years, there's a little bit of confusion about, well, if you have something like a farm community, is that going to be too much of a segregated environment? Is that going to deny you access to the community? And we were able to show both the federal authorities and the state policymakers that you can have both. You could have a wonderful farming community where you still do op allow options for the disabled individuals to have access to the community, for the community to come in and be part of it. So I'm so happy to say that 
there's really, the feds have clearly stated these are allowed and states have a lot of freedom. And New Jersey has clearly embraced a variety of models. And so not only does our model have approval, but many more are in the works and some are even opening now. So in that way, the policy is really supportive. The second piece is that in addition to uh, being able to use the Medicaid dollars to support you, there's also a number of sources for actually building. So one of the sources is municipals, uh, municipalities have municipal housing trust funds that they have monies to put towards affordable housing. And that was slow and stalled for many years, but it really is, again, picking up pace. Some of it was a result, unfortunately, of court decisions, but there had to be some pressure. But with good, with good court decisions, now municipalities are looking for projects. And honestly, as we build successful projects, so many towns are actually seeking partners like a Circle Haven. So I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic about the landscape changing in a really positive fashion. Oh, this is just so wonderful to hear because I can imagine I do know someone else who I used to work with and uh, she's retired now. Her husband are retired and they're in their middle to late 60s and they have an autistic child. And actually, they have that same concern you were talking about. What is going to happen? And this is the only child. Right. So who's going to take care, certainly. So it's so awesome that there you are know, You know what, Greg, also, too, is that even when families come in and they say, well, you know, we they have several siblings and they're going to step in. You know, I always said, and my younger son is a wonderful brother to my son, Andrew, but I always said to Jeffrey, you know, I want you to care about your brother, but I don't want you to have to care for him because wow. he needs to be able to have his, you know, own interest in life. And it's actually, thank goodness that we have these plans because he ended up moving out to Las Vegas. So it would have been a little hard. Oh. For <laughs> yeah, he's oh. in uh, sports broadcasting out there. So, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, you you know, obviously we want families all to play a role. And at Circle Haven, we have a number, you know, our board is really made up primary families. And we do expect siblings to step in when the parents are, are gone. But, you know, even with families that have siblings, that's usually not the solution. Sure. And also for the individual with autism, to let them have, you know, their own path, their own place is important, too. Uh, it must be incredible for someone who is differently able like that to be able to move into a place, his or her own. And as you say, to get involved in the farming and to really feel that sense of wonderful worth, no, no doubt about it. Now, one of the things, if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to Lisa is this whole concept of staffing and support services. Because as you adroitly pointed out a few minutes ago, there's funding needed. These services are needed naturally. Where does the funding come from? Is it kind of the same sources as for the housing itself, or is it different buckets? Share with us, please. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit different. So we do have, as I said, a number of uh, municipal, state, and federal dollars to, to build, which is great, and we're glad it's loosened up. But that's only a, a tiny part of the battle, because the real battle is 
where's the money going to come to provide the services and supports? Because as we know, a lot of people, a lot of individuals with developmental disabilities do require significant support. Some even like my son requires 24 seven supports, right? So that's a, that is obviously, you know, um, an area that requires a great deal of funding to do that. Again, once again, we're fortunate in New Jersey, we have the Division of Developmental Disabilities. We have both uh, federal and state matching funds. So as long, you know, people obviously have to plan for it and approach it properly, but there is there, there is a path to get an individual budget. So you would have money, not just for a day program or a job coach or, you know, those kind of supports, community-based services, like maybe joining a Y or taking an art class, but also for this residential piece and the bulk of the money obviously goes into the direct, you know, the direct support professionals, the DSPs, which are the backbone of everything. The most important is who are the individuals that are going to help support your loved one? Wow. This is just so refreshing and so hopeful. That's for sure. Now, I know you mentioned you're more towards Southern Jersey. Is that right? Uh, near Rowan University down there? Is- That's right. We're right, by, we're right by Rowan University, which is actually a, a, a wonderful university that has expanded tremendously in the last 10 years. Um, and the town itself, Glassboro, is also was part of a, I believe it was $200 million development project. So they sort of connected the town to the university. So it's a, you know, a great community. It's also a very friendly community to individuals with disabilities. So, you know, my son with autism, he can sometimes be a little noisy or maybe a little impatient in line. And the town is so welcoming. So many of the, the people that work in the stores are students themselves. And, you know, it's always just a very friendly, welcoming place. So I think we've, we picked a great location being right by the university. That, that is awesome. Now, do I perceive that New Jersey is building some of these innovative projects itself? I don't know if it's down more by you or throughout the state. What's going no, on? No, it's actually throughout the state. In fact, one just opened in Florham Park. Um, so right up, right by Seton Hall. Wow. Um, and Yes, the developer was Bergen County United Way, which is a developer that has done some wonderful projects um, for over 10 years now, but in recent years has really um, taken off. And that particular project is, it's actually right next to the Jets training facility. (laughs) The land was actually donated by the Rockefeller Foundation, which is wonderful. And that is a real mixed community where it could be um, some one of there's one or two bedroom apartments for individuals that may need very little supports, but they need the affordable housing. So they'll have the low income housing and but they may get themselves up and go off to work without a support all the way again to something like more traditional, like a license setting where there is 24 staff. So it's a very nice mixed community. And that's just opened in the last few months and people are starting to move in. It has a community center also, which is a core component for our Circle Haven project too, is that we will have a community center where all the folks that live there can obviously come to for social activities, but we can also invite the outside community in as well. Oh, just terrific. Just terrific. Now, you mentioned before, if I heard correctly, Circle Haven has plans to build an intentional community with a farming component? 
Yes, we do. More about this, please. Yeah. So as as I said, really fortunate that one of our one of our partners is um, the founders of Bobbling Farms. Which, um, if you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain's show, he's actually did a show on like the highlights of New Jersey, and they were featured on it. Really? Wow. Yes. Really wonderful, talented, renowned cheesemakers. They have a son with autism, and you know, same concerns about, you know, what will happen after we're gone. And we want to make sure that uh, it's not only something that is going to be successful now, but it's going to survive them. So we spent a lot of time looking at, you know, long-term viability, but um, the, I think that what the piece that they bring is that how important it is to show people the process and that it's not just people with disabilities. We all benefit from that. There's throughout the country, there are communities that are adding things like community gardens. So there's a, you know, where people come together and grow things and share things. There's even some developers that are looking at wellness communities where the community itself sponsors things like a yoga class or an exercise club. So they really, I think, bring a very strong perspective about looking at, uh, again, keeping not just eating well and having something productive to do, but also being able to teach that sort of process literally from farm to table. I think another part of it that we're really proud of is that anything that we do, we're going to include the direct support professionals. So we want them at the end of the week to also go home with a basket of fresh produce oh, and learn about it. Right. And I've seen some other communities across the country that have done that as well, too, that, you know, anytime you offer an opportunity, offer it to your staff, too, because, as you know, traditionally, that field has very low pay and, um, you know, it's particularly been hit very, very hard by COVID. COVID. Um, you know, with the staffing crisis, I think COVID's also had a pretty profound effect on families, too, being even more anxious about what will happen after, you know, I'm no longer here. Uh, so we really do intend to, you know, anything that we offer in terms of enriching lives, we want to make sure that we're including the direct support professionals as well, because they are the backbone of your program. Wow. Now, my Circle Haven, and I think you alluded to a little of this before, do they actually offer work opportunities for individuals with developmental disabilities? So I think a fundamental principle is choice, right? So we, of course, are for anyone that farming is not their thing, okay, and they want to get up and go work at wherever, a McDonald's, a Target, or maybe even <laughs> at, at the university, it will not be, uh, you know, mandated. It's there as an option. So if someone lives there and they're not interested, they don't have to do it at all. Maybe they have some little interest, so they may just be part of the community garden on, you know, the weekends. Um, some individuals may will actually work on the campus that will be their job site, but it's by no way mandated because, again, I think the parents and professionals that came together to form Circle Haven, that was sort of our binding principle, which is that things should be individualized, people should have choice, people have, should have options, people should be able to change their choices. So maybe someone comes in and they really like the farming component, but then they decide that they don't want to do that any longer. So of course, the other options would be available. And in addition to Rowan University being a partner on the project, 
and we're working on a really exciting technology grant with them. We also are partnering with another organization called Advancing Opportunities, which has uh, been around for probably, I think, maybe 12, 13 years. They do a lot of work with offering job coaching for to get individuals with disabilities jobs in competitive employment out in the community. So it's all about options, right? Because we don't want the fact that you're disabled to give you less choices. We all want to have the same choices. Exactly. That's what it's all about, certainly. Sorry to say, Lisa, time is getting short, but I still have a couple of important questions to ask. Sure. That's okay. Circle Haven has a model uh, help to create a supportive workplace for the DSPs, the direct support professionals who support the individuals with disabilities. Tell us a little bit more about this model, please. Right. So, so as I mentioned, any type of initiative we do, particularly the wellness initiative, we want to make that available to the staff too. So if we're offering a yoga class, we need to offer it free also for the staff as well. If we're doing a nutrition education course, they need to have it. If we're growing vegetables, they need to enjoy it, a part of it, partake in it and enjoy it. Um, but we also need to make sure that they're paid recognizing the valuable work they do. Sure. I mean, it's a very difficult job. You know, a lot of individuals require very specialized care. It can be really tough physical labor as well. And the field is not known for salaries, so, you know, that really match what the job is requiring. So we've made a commitment to do annual fundraising and appeals to make sure that not only just the state funds, but that we're seeking sources through philanthropic dollars, grants, partnerships with other things such as universities and the like. So that way we're able to pay a salary that is you know, a living wage, but more importantly, reflects the critical work that DSPs do. I've saved one of the most important questions for last, Lisa. How can our loyal listeners best contact you? Okay, so we are obviously have a presence on Facebook and the, the, the web and the like. So um, we pretty much everything is the, the same thing to look up, which is just the firm. So it's um, parlsreckham.com. So let me spell that to you. Since hey. you two offbeat names. It's P-A-R-L-E-S-R-E-K-E-M. And then it's .com for the web. It's Parles Reckham for Facebook. And if anyone wanted to email us, you just info at parlsreckham.com. So we, you know, we do try to keep the Facebook page and the website filled with information, particularly information with respect to upcoming webinars. Both um, my partner and I do a lot of presentations, particularly, you know, for universities and for some advocacy groups, because we think that, um, you know, some people just don't know that there's options and not, I don't want to you know, put a to sugarcoat it to be like, everything is great. And we're, it's a struggle and families don't know what's out there and families need no. to navigate a number of complex systems. But I do want to leave people with a sense of hope that there are projects that are starting and there's projects in the pipeline. And I just, I feel really hopeful about the landscape changing for in a positive manner. Oh, that's so awesome. Listeners, no excuse. Please, please, please reach out to Lisa. She gave us a lot of options for doing so. And uh, she's certainly given us a lot of wonderful nuggets, compassionate nuggets today on this World Autism Day. 
and uh, she'll give you a lot more if you contact her, when you contact her. So please, please don't hesitate to do that. And when you're done contacting Lisa, don't forget about us, please. Our social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and now we're even on the ticky-tocky. So no excuse to not reach out to us as well. Uh, please, please, questions, comments, uh, suggestions for guests. Also, uh, this is our 15th year. We recently, I don't know, Lisa, if you heard about this, we started a Thank God for Monday Hall of Fame. Because yeah. we really wanted to recognize the individuals who over the 15 years have been instrumental in getting Thank God for Monday on the air and getting us to this 15th year milestone. And as a matter of fact, the nominating committee has given me an envelope today because I believe they have nominated somebody here. And indeed they have. It's my great honor and pleasure to announce that Lisa Parles has been elected to the Thank God for Monday Hall of Fame. Lisa, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done. You're the reason we're on the air. You sponsored us right from day one. You believed in us and all this fabulous work you've been doing in your law firm, Circle Haven. You are such a role model of Franciscan love and of hazards at forward, advanced despite difficulties. We'll be contacting you more about some information we'll need for you to get you up into our Hall of Fame site. But again, congratulations and thank you. With all the letters you got after your name, now you've got H-O-F after as well. Thank you so much. That's quite an honor. And let's not wait another 15 years to get together again, right? Absolutely. That's for sure. Lisa, thanks again for everything. Listeners, sorry to say, once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Lisa does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. We'll see you next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. In the meantime, enjoy World Autism Awareness Day and have a great week. Bye-bye, everybody.